right, everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Fire Builders Live. My name is Josh Corporal, and like always, we are streaming live from the porch in Key West, surrounded by roosters and iguanas, and God knows what else is out there. I have very special guest Frank Vitali back on the show. Frank, welcome to Fire Builders Live. Hey, everybody. Great to, great to be here again. Yes, it is. It is so good that you're back. Honestly, I... I have mentioned to you quite a bit, and I know maybe you don't believe me, but uh, but to be honest, our conversation last time you were on the show is one of my favorites of the entire season. I absolutely loved it, and it mimics a lot of the conversations that you and I used to have at Starbucks when we would work there in Nyack, New York, but we'll get into that in a second. Before we go any further and talk about building up your confidence in video and film, let me explain a little bit about how Fire Builders works for those that have no idea what we're talking about. So Fire Builders, what do we do here? Well, we stream live Monday through Saturday, six days a week with six different guests, and we take big ideas, big goals, and break them down into small steps, things that you can do every single day to improve, right? Little tidbits, because it's a consistent progress that's really going to get you there. And today is no different. Let me tell you a little bit about the man that you were looking at, Frank, uh, director, producer of over 150 films and documentaries, honored with 75 awards. He's also taught at the New York School of Visual Arts for the last 40 years. He has a film out, his latest, Erotic Fire of the Unattainable, that has been officially selected for the Brooklyn and Sarasota Film Festivals. His feature film, Montreal, Maine, played in major festivals around the world, London, Mannheim, Edinburgh, AFI, MoMA, and the Whitney. And I can tell you for everybody that is listening right now, as video, I mean, we're on video right now, and as video becomes a more and more of a mainstay in our lives, learning how to be emotive and building up a confidence in oneself, coming and expressing themselves through video and connecting with a worldwide audience is not only possible today, but it is paramount right? To evoke feeling and emotion, whether it's telling a story or selling a product or promoting your service or just simply bringing to someone's attention why they should care about a certain topic, right? That is what we are going to be doing today. And that, my friends, is why I am so happy to have Frank on the show. Frank, again, it is so great to have you. Welcome back to Fire Builders Live. Well, it's good to be here, Josh. And, and uh, boy, you've really... Um uh, first off, that was a wonderful introduction. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're I, welcome. Uh, introduction that uh, flattering before. Um, and uh, you've really brought the show along. This is pretty amazing. Uh, right? Like, just from your porch with your roller or your skateboard there behind you. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's, that's so. right. I mean, actually, Frank, you were, I, I can't remember the exact number, but I you were something like 18 or or 19, you were somewhere in like the top 20. And that was when I was just getting my, getting my bearings and trying to figure out what I was doing and how I wanted to, how I wanted to present the show. And so, so, uh, so it's come a long way since then. Yeah. But it does make me a little nostalgic. Um, remembering those days at Starbucks when we were, you know, kind of hanging out there for hours at a time doing our thing and then chatting for a little bit after, uh, it's pretty cool. That's right. Well, I, I like to tell people, I mean, you, the reason that we met was because we were often, we closed the place out most times. Like, uh, 
you and I, we were, we stayed there for hours and hours. By the way, like if you're ever in Nyack, New York, and they ever, you know, things when they go back to normal as far as working in coffee shops and stuff, Nyack has this Starbucks on Main Street that has a fireplace. It's the only Starbucks I've ever been to. I don't know about you. It's the only Starbucks I've ever been to that has a fireplace, and it is a great place to work. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's very cool. We're both uh, similar in that way. We do like to work, don't we? That's right. Well, tell tell us a little bit like now since you've been you know since you've been on the show once, and that was uh, I want to say April, probably April or early May of of this year. What's been going on? What's uh, what do you have um, happen in your life recently? Well, uh, my film was just coming out then, and uh, now I have a sales agent who is in the process of selling the film. Um, and it's an independent film. Uh, it's not for everybody, so we have to find our audience. So, uh, But we have a method now for finding that audience, um, so I'm quite excited about that. And I also did another film, a short film, called The Moon Nymph. Uh, it's about a nymph who haunts this industrial complex that you know as well as I, the Garner Complex in Harvestraw, New York. Um, She lives under a building, and she comes out at night and uh, eats out of garbage cans. Um, And she she has a a relationship with an artist. She sees an artist struggling um, to make something, and she peers through his window. And she magically goes in there when he's asleep, and the artist is very frustrated. He's trying to... um, create this painting, uh, which he sees in his mind, but he's desperately trying to get it down, but he's just throwing his paintbrushes around and throwing his canvases around, working on this thing, and she she kind of feels for him. So magically she goes in at night and she tries to kind of comfort him by just stroking his hair. Um, uh, and then she goes back and sleeps in her lair, which is a dungeon under a building, um, and then she comes up the next day and he's leaving and, uh, it's kind of breaking her heart and she goes into a studio and she sees the painting on the floor and she picks it up and she looks at it and I'm not going to tell you what she sees, but it, it, uh, really hits her heart. So when, interesting, <laughs> well, when you, so is this completed? Is the project it's completed? I'm just in, I'm just entering it. It's about eight minutes long. I'm just entering it in the Tribeca Film Festival and DC Shorts. And um, when you make a film like that, independent film, you have a year window of entering it into festivals. So I'll gradually enter it in festivals around the world. Festivals um, are kind of a crapshoot. You know, you don't know when you're going to hit somebody that likes your film. You're going to hit a lot more people that maybe like some other films. So you have to really enter it in a number of festivals to really see what it's worth. Because if you enter it in one festival and you get rejected and you go and cry in your soup, um, it ain't the way it works. You got to play the numbers game. You know, anyway, a, yes, that's part of it. Totally yeah. Of it. Well, actually, so um, just so that, so we can get this out there, right? Perrine asked how, how actually can they watch? What's the best way to watch that one? The, the moon nymph, the moon nymph. Uh, there is no way of watching it now because for example, the Tribeca film festival, uh, they uh, require that your film has not been distributed, not available. They want to premiere it. That's a big, that's like your virginity. They want your virginity uh, at Tribeca. Got it. Uh, they don't want it shown anywhere in New York. And even Erotic Fire, um, that's really not available. It was available while it was in festivals because all the festivals have gone virtually now, virtual. 
but now it's got to go commercial. And um, uh, I have a uh, uh, Facebook page, Erotic Fire of the Unattainable. And uh, if people will like my page, then I will let them know as soon as it's available. So that's that's the strategy. I'm trying to publish publicize the film that way and uh, get a lot of people on the page. And then when it's available, I can let them know. And I can do the same with Munimph. In fact, whoever was asking there, thank you. I didn't think of that, but uh, I should probably start a page for Munimph now uh, to get ready for when it is available. I feel like you could start a page just for all of your films, potentially, and then ha- and just let people have one place where they can keep up with all of the things that you're doing simultaneously. Um, but we can go into that in a second. I actually want to ask you a question about this, because there's a lot of people that are listening to this, that are watching this live, and they struggle with creating film and video, especially if that involves themselves, because... I feel like they, if they present it, they're going to be embarrassed in some way or the world isn't going to embrace it the way that they feel like the world should embrace it. They don't want that kind of pain and suffering in their life. Do you go through the same struggles as you come up with the stories for some of these films? Well, I did. I, I kind of, yes, I do. I, I, uh, when I first thought about this, I teach film at the School of Visual Arts. I've been teaching, of course, independent um, introduction to film, and students make their first film in that class. And uh, I kind of preach to them and try to give them steps. You know, don't be afraid. Um, just go with your gut. Um, and uh, I thought about, you know, steps to um, uh, help you overcome your insecurities. And so what I want to talk about is kind of insecurity versus confidence. Um, Well, when I thought about that, I realized that I don't really think that helps if I give people steps to increase their confidence. I I don't know that that's the right way to do it. Uh, And then I thought to myself, well, you know, I'm going to talk about confidence versus insecurity. And how in the hell can I do that when I am the most insecure person in the world? How can I possibly be an authority on that? But then I thought, well, you know, I still make films. I still do it. Even if at every step of the way, I am shaking in my boots and afraid of people's opinion and afraid of what they're going to think of me and embarrassed about getting myself out there. Um, and even coming on the show, you know, I see all, you know, your pictures, everybody having a good time and you're laughing and it's probably all your personality. I don't know, but that's, that was scary. That's scary to come on your show. Uh, but somehow I do these things. So, uh, what I wanted to do was kind of explain or at least tell some insecurity stories. Um, and one of them is about uh, a film that I made called The Metropolis Organism, about cities as organisms. And I was in my 20s and I had access to camera and I was working for a photographer. And for the first time we were in airplanes going to California. I'd never done that before. But I had the camera and I shot out the window. It's cities down below. And they look like organisms to me. So I started piecing together a film about cities as organisms. But I got so down on myself before I finished it that I took all the material, all the footage, all the shots, and I threw them in the garbage, just threw them away. So that, so that like initial sort of spark that you had, the excitement about what you could produce with this and what this meant after that kind of euphoria wore away, then you, then all of the, 
negativity started creeping in and you just decided, no, nah, this isn't worth it kind of thing? I do. I decided it's not worth it. It's, it's, I can't do it. I threw it in the garbage. Exactly. You got it right, Josh. Exactly. But I went back again. And I, may, I just did the same thing. Next time I got in an airplane, I shut out the window and I went to the New York library and got these pictures of organisms uh, and went to the New York uh, video, uh, film library and got a video of a film of organisms. And I put it, I finally finished it. And since then, I made that film. And since then, I've written three manuscripts, uh, one fiction, uh, two nonfiction about cities as organisms. Uh, and one ebook about cities as organisms. And I also have a YouTube channel with 40 short films about cities as organisms. So even though I was scared to death at that one point, I still was able to go ahead and, um, and kind of make this a thing for me. Yeah. Well, was the fear that you didn't feel like people would interpret the work the same way that you do? So for instance, um, you're in this plane, you're looking down, you see these cities as organisms, and it evokes something within you, you know, a curiosity, right? It's nice to understand that something that's seemingly so disparate and everywhere and chaotic from above has a, has a, like a cohesiveness to it, right? There's some larger picture at play. When you, maybe that serves as the inspiration at the very beginning, but then as you start to make it and you decide to give it and distribute it to people, there's a chance that they don't see cities the same way. Like they don't have an appreciation the way that you do. Is that where the fear comes from? Because if they don't have that same admiration and, and appreciation that it's kind of not worth it to you. Sure, not that it's not worth it. They're going to think I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps, right? Like, not what perhaps, for guy? sure. <laughs> yeah. But that's so that's the fear, right? Because you don't want to you don't want to appear like you're a lunatic. I said that's the fear. Yeah. Well, what think, what helped you? Yeah, what helped you get over it? I don't know. I can't I can't say what helped me. I can just say that kind of my message would be that uh that's part of the game. That's part of uh filmmaking. Probably part of anything creative. It, that at certain points it's going to become scary. Um, for whatever reasons, again, mine, I think quite reasonably, uh, people will think I'm crazy. And I, I quite honestly, um, if there's anybody out there who doesn't, I'd like to talk to them. And maybe you too, Josh, <laughs> because I don't think anybody understands uh, where I'm coming from with this. I've taken, I've had um, presentations, uh, numerous presentations, uh, presenting it, and people don't really understand what I'm saying. You know, they may take the idea that, uh, that cities are like organisms, so therefore we should take care of them, kind of the environmentalist view. But that's not where I'm coming from. I kind of go along with it because I don't want to say no to anybody, but but that's not really where I'm coming from with that. Is the, um, idea, is the idea, so I would ask, like, um, once somebody accepts the notion that these cities are really synonymous with some type of organism, to what end? Um, is it just to better understand the way that cities work as a whole? Or is it a situation where you can use that new insights to improve something for everyone? What do you think? Well, most uh, insights are you want them to be useful for people. This has no use. 
Okay, this is a conceptual, but there's other things like this, like for example, the theory of rel- the theory of um, uh, evolution. You can't do anything with it. It's a theory about how the world is, and it's outside of us. We don't control it. It's not something we make. It's just we've become more aware of the world we live in, and um, uh, uh, also the heliocentric theory. You know, it was a huge theory, but you can't do anything with it. I mean, it's good to know, and it's, but you know, it's just an awareness thing. It's conceptual theory. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that makes it hard for me. I can't do my, I can't, it's, people aren't that interested because there's nothing you can do with it except believe it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and except, you know, feel a little bit of solace knowing that you have a slightly more accurate, like uh, um, impression and understanding of the world. You know, there's some well, comfort in that. Well, let me ask you this, though, Josh, uh, and believe me, I, I, I feel like you're a very open-minded person, so you're ready to kind of think about this and be open to it, but what it kind of says to you is that you are an unremarkable organelle, necessary, but unremarkable, of a larger organism, so yeah. I don't know how much that would make people feel comfortable. Um, well, it's so, so funny. Okay, so okay, so two things about this. This is good. Number one, first of all, let me just show you what Stephen just said, because I do want to bring this up before we get to this. He said, I don't think you're crazy, Frank, but then again, I watch, uh, I have Kwanaskazi for fun. And then he said, by the way, I also know how to spell Kwanaskazi without looking it up. (laughs) Well, Stephen, you are impressed. He's impressive. He's impressive. But I'd like to ask, because I watch it, but I think the maker of Kwanaskazi was making an environmental statement. He was basically kind of saying, hey, what's our world coming to, I think. But I'm not making any environmental uh, statement. Again, it's just, an, it's just an abstract theoretical, I call it theoretical science, although it's, it's, and I think of it as science, but I don't know that you'd really call it science because you can't prove anything. Well, I'll tell you, I think that um, it does provide a perspective of the world that's very helpful for people in dealing with their own problems. And here's what I mean by that. I was just talking to somebody this morning about this very thing. There's a video out there, and maybe you've seen it before. It's called The Known Universe. And it basically starts, I believe it starts in the Himalayas on Google Earth. And it zooms out past Earth, past our solar system, uh, like our internal, right, out of the Milky Way and all the way to the very reaches of what radio telescopes can see as far as what, what, what there is out there. And it shows you just how much there is. And then it zooms back into Earth, right? That feeling of knowing that we build such an importance of the things that are happening around us in our tiny little worlds, yet there is something so expansive out there that by comparison, our problems, our daily issues and stuff are relatively insignificant at all. And I, and, and I think that there are two kinds of people that, that take that information and how they take it. One, they say, oh, well, you know, I, uh, you know I, that makes me uncomfortable. That makes me feel like the things that I think are important aren't important. And that, you know, that's confronting to me. But then there are some other people that say, wow, that's actually like a little bit relieving <laughs> that I don't have to that I don't have to worry so much about the minutia of my daily life knowing that I'm part of something bigger and I think your film speaks to the latter okay I think you're right it's kind of cool that you see it from those those separate perspectives 
Yeah, yeah, totally. And I'll have to I'll forward you that uh, that video because it is it's awesome. Well, you know, I mean, just this is not there's a video that the National Film Board made called Cosmic Zoom, which does exactly the same thing. It, it starts on a person, a fly on their hand, it zooms out to the cosmos, and then it goes in through the fly into the blood cells and goes into their their inner self. This is, you know, so so it's it, it's a cool idea. I like it. Well, I like the idea of of having this internal drive in yourself, like you, Frank, right? Having this need to want to express something and having the guts to do it, even in the face of the fact that people may think that you're nuts, you know, they may not understand it, but that's not why you do it. You do it because I would imagine you just feel like you got to get it out, you know? Yeah, I've definitely driven. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I think a lot of your audience or maybe – do practical things. In other words, they want to sell something or make, uh, maybe communicate some concept. Um, I think I'm coming at it from a person who's kind of very um, uh, f- kind of focused on their internal feelings, you know, and uh, kind of more artistic. But I think that that's still useful for people who are doing the stuff that, you know, that is kind of more commercial. Uh, but I'm not really that versed in that i'm more really about your feelings and how to get them out and how to feel confident so i think it's useful but i just want to separate that a little bit yeah well i think it's i think it really is useful um let me put up hold on let me put up what perry and said frank you are not crazy or mad as i see it you simply see feel and think so much more than the rest of the world you know and i agree with perry (laughs) i agree with perry and and Frank, I, you know, I think it's, this is such an interesting conversation to have because I feel like a lot of people maybe, maybe ignore those internal feelings, right? They're all, I mean, we're all after the same types of things, but if they ignore them, then they can never really reconcile them. And they will always create like a, you know, a, a feeling of torment from the inside out, no matter what they do on the external. So I think you having a, like a, you know, like a, like a mastery of that, or at least working towards one for yourself is a good thing. Well, there's, um, there's an expression that, you know, um, uh, if, if, it, if it makes you uncomfortable, lean toward it, you know, uh, but, but I'm, that's not really, um, you're right. You say that you don't pay attention to them and you also run away from them, those feelings. Uh, I do, you know, I'm tempted to, and I probably used to a lot more than I do now, but I still am scared to death. You know, I, I want to mention this other film, The Moon Nymph. Uh, this is, um, uh, it's a fantasy. And uh, I, f- I found a word just after I got scheduled with you on um, Word a Day. I don't know if you ever get Word a Day, but it's autotelic. And it basically the it's defined as um, uh, it's defined as not referring to the outside world, but more referring to the inside world. So when you're making something, you're not asking yourself, "Will other people like it?" or "What do they want to see?" But you're asking yourself, "What do you want to say?" You know, and what do you feel? Um, so this other one, Moon Nymph, was just a fantasy. And it, I packed in all the things that I like. I like um, 
a vagabond personality, someone who lives kind of outside the rest of the world. You're a bit of a vagabond. I mean, you know, you're, you know, <laughs> well, I mean, you're free to go and free to do whatever, you know. Uh, and that's that's something that I long for. I love that. I used to hitchhike on the side of the road. And I love that feeling of just being there, being nobody. You know, cars pass you by. You are you are nobody. I just like that. Anyway, I, I like myth. I do too. I do too. Actually, I heard it. I heard it said a really great way the other day. Uh, you know that that you live in a state where your mind is open to everything, yet you're really attached to nothing. You yeah, know, and I I like that a lot. Yeah. So so uh, so this you know I like nymphs. I like these old buildings. I like art. Um, so I just had a fantasy, and it took me an hour to write it. Um, and then I had to ask this woman to be the actress in it. And that was scary as hell. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I, I was haunted by, am I going to be embarrassed? Is she going to think I'm a jerk? Uh, is she going to say no? Um, and if she says yes, oh my God, then I've got to start making this damn thing, you know? So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but it was just a fantasy and I finished it and I think it's pretty good. Although, there were many points during hiring secondary actors, asking crew to help me, asking the location if I could go there. Um, all those moments were scared. I kind of envy. I don't know if I envy, but writers, uh, basically their point of fear is when they send their thing out. They first send it out, whereas people can reject it. But up until then, they're afraid of that moment. But when you're making a film – you have lots of little moments to be afraid uh, of, of people. Yeah. I guess I'm afraid that people will. Like um, you're talking about in the process, you know, so all, as you go through the process, there are all of these points of fear, you know, things go wrong. People say no, that then you end up having to surmount. Yeah. You know, mostly is that I'm afraid people won't like me. <laughs> I think a lot of people feel that way. You know, they feel that they fear that. Um, yeah, so it's all those points. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and in a film, you have a thousand choices to make. Am I going to make the wrong choice? Am I going to make a stupid choice? Is my choice going to be inadequate? Am I going to be inadequate to this? Well, have you, as you ask yourself that, and just going back actually to the, well, I'm afraid that people won't like me. Have you, have you, um, found some peace in the fact that, that if they don't like you, that that's okay? Uh, I, I'd say yes to that, but a little bit differently in that uh, I'm going to make this thing, um, whether it makes money, whether uh, people like it or not, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. What was your question? Don't ask me again, because I think I'm not. Go ahead. I'm not quite as evolved <laughs> as you would like me to be. No, 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 no man. You do, this is great. By the way, like, uh, let me put up this thing on Susie. Susie says, humility is so beautiful for creating deeper levels of authentic connection People should fear it less for it brings such magic with it. Simply being honest and humble about yourself, your accomplishments, what you're trying to do. I agree. Like people gravitate to that. Thank you, Susie. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, my, my question was whether or not everybody has that fear. I agree. I have it too. Like if I do this thing, I want people to like me, but yet i I say to myself, yeah, well, you know, if they don't like me, then half the time, do I really care? <laughs> you know, if they, if I, 
And what, I don't know, how do you, how do you reconcile that within yourself? Well, I do care. <laughs> I just work hard as I can to get people to like me, but I, I, I haven't, I'm not as evolved as you are. And I, I would ask you, is that true? Do you really not care? I do. I do care like on a deep level, like it, it, when I know, you know, I think everybody does. Uh, when you get to a point and people react negatively to the thing that you've created and brought into the world, it hurts. Like there's no doubt about it, but I, uh, um, I feel like the more that that happens, the better I get at responding in a mature way instead of simply reacting to the situation. Um, but I, I agree, like you never really, you never really desensitize and numb yourself to the point where you just feel nothing. Cause I don't want to be somebody that feels nothing. Like I want to feel it because I feel like that produces an energy that I can kind of direct into some new creative pursuit. If I didn't feel anything then I'd be just this block of nothingness. Right. And what, what could I create then? You're very evolved kiddo. (laughs) Thanks man. Thank you. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, how, how do you go about it? How do you, how do you think about it in your own mind in your own work? I guess the only really way I can talk about it is that I'm compelled to do this stuff. I feel shitty a lot, you know, uh, or I can feel. And um, it's not that if people don't like it, if people aren't crazy about it, <laughs> then um, it's not enough. So, uh, but I'm compelled. I just keep um, keep wanting to do this stuff. I'm totally, totally obsessed by it. I feel like that's really what people should also take from, you know, from this conversation. I love that you're saying this because you you need this obsession, right? You need, it's, it's an obsession and it's like, I don't know. It's, 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 you have to, you have to almost not delude yourself, but constantly feel like you're being pulled towards something in order to get you through all of the muck and the mud of the day's uh, negativity that comes along with doing something great. You know, you really do have to do that. And Frank, I mean, I'll tell you, man, the things that you have said just up until now in the last 30 minutes, everybody feels that way. Whether or not they're shooting a film or they want to hop on like their phone and do a live on Facebook or something. I mean, they all feel like whatever they say or do, there's going to be a portion of people that don't agree with that. And do I have the wherewithal to handle it? And you, my friend do. Yeah. Well, I guess if the, what the message would be for me is that you're going to feel that way and it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Um, another thing too, is that, you know, I make independent films. If one tenth of 1% of Americans saw the film, it'd be a blockbuster. So uh, that means that the other 99.9.9% of the people aren't going to like it. So what? But when I bump into those people, I got to kind of remember that, you know, there are there is an audience. There are people who will like it. Um, I, I shifted gears to this film, that I'm, Erotic Fire. The thing that I kind of want to push here a little bit, because it's just going to, you know, I have a, a sales agent who's got a, a deal from a distributor. And we, so, and this is, this is low end distribution. Basically, they'll they'll put it on uh, video on demand platforms for you for you, and maybe make a foreign sale. But uh, I have to um, kind of put some money in advertising myself, 
and uh, promote it myself. Uh, I don't want to spend all my time promoting because I like, I'd rather make stuff than promote it. But, but right now this is a chance for me to promote this film, Erotic Fire of the Unattainable. It's a feature film. It's about a woman who's a writer. The audience are probably um, sophisticated people over 50 years, 60 years old. In other words, people who like art um, uh, and who like the conversation in the film, that these people improvise the conversation, um, but they're all really smart people. And some people have uh, looked at the film and said, well, you know, that's brilliant writing, you know, you know, wow. And I have to tell them, no, it wasn't written. These are just basically, we, we, the writing was, hey, you're at the dinner table and you're talking about your new book. That's it. And then they, they took it from there. And it came, it just came out of them. There was nothing really scripted at that point. It's like, you know, the, like the essence of the human condition almost is whatever they felt like saying at the time, um, which I think has sometimes way more power. You know, you're right. It does. It does. It's like your subconscious is kind of coming through and it's a lot smarter than your conscious. So, um, yeah. Well, as you, okay. So as you go and create this stuff and you find the confidence to overcome those little things that happen to you in the process of creating a film from start to finish, um, you know, you have to make all of these decisions about how to, you know, how to connect with people on an emotional level through film. And one way that you've seemingly done it is allow the actors to tap into their own emotional reserves, right? And be themselves on camera. What would you, do you suggest that if, you know, if it's, if it's just me, if I'm listening to you now and I, you know, I don't have actors, but I am worried about being on video and having the world see me, do you suggest that I sort of do the same thing where I kind of clear my head and I try to tap into the emotional center um, to speak or, you know, how would I get over that? And if I asked you for advice. Okay. I, I, let's go deeper there. Cause it's, cause I, the emotional center really rings a bell with me. That's where I'm kind of searching and, and pushing uh, gay who is the writer of this film to find her emotional center. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, tell me a little bit more, ask that question again, or talk to me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So people, people now that are, that are trying to create video and film that really speak to people and they have to do it from a place of an emotional center, right? They, the, the, the engaging content that, you know, that word engaging is so overused in my opinion, essentially content that people are attracted and drawn to because it, it, it lets them connect it. Like it, it, it lets them relate in some way, you know, finding that emotional center. Um, but a lot of people have kind of drowned that out with the noise of the world. Um, in your opinion, how do you start to tap back into it? Well, I think you have to be vulnerable uh, you're making me think of, um, say, times that I might have been supposed to speak in an engagement, stand at a podium and speak. And, of course, the safe way is to come up with, write down something and do your speech. But always the most engaging way is when people don't do a speech, when they're up there and they're maybe confessing right off the bat that they're nervous. Um, 
And uh, I like that word, by the way, confessing. That's a great, that's a great way. Like, don't give a speech, like stand up there and confess. Confess. Yeah. So I guess you have to be vulnerable. Yeah. Um, And not be too pre-programmed, not be too safe. Um, um, uh, Stand on the edge, you know, Uh, that's hard. That's really hard, but I think it's the way to make something good, you know, and, and goof ups, even in this film, there were a lot of times when I, I, uh, I kind of pulled back in erotic fire and didn't do something that was completely crazy because it was completely crazy. And I look back and I said, damn, that was an opportunity I missed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The film is crazy enough, but it could have been crazier. Like I, that, you know, that reminds me of, um, of, uh, what was, oh man, what was that called? It was, um, I'm totally blanking on the name now. Who did the movie where they drug the boat over the mountain? Um, oh, um, the German director, Herzog, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, Werner Herzog, right? That that show, right, just that film and the idea, you look at it and you're just like, oh, my God, that's just, that's one, that's an insane premise. But two, what's nuts about it is that that film has a second film that is essentially the making of that film. That alone is 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 way crazier than just the film. Really? Because of the because of the lengths that they had to go to tribal wars in the Amazon, right? Fitzcarraldo, that's exactly what it is. Fitzcarraldo is the name of the movie, and then there is a, a documentary about the making of Fitzcarraldo that's like ten times as as entertaining. Um, and it's just like that, you know. It's filled with crazy moments that if you don't capture them in the moment, you'll look back and say, "Ah, oh, man, I could have, I could have done it." But yeah, I. I I held back a little bit. Was that the right choice? <laughs> you, you know, you read, you read, you're a great interviewer because you listen to the people and, uh, thanks man. Yeah. It hasn't been always easy. Like, uh, actually I listened to a couple of the first episodes that I did and it was really hard to stay in the moment with somebody, but yet at the same time in the back of your mind, try to navigate where you want the conversation to go. Um, I liken it to now I don't play the piano very well at all, but uh, I liken it to playing the piano where you learn how to do two things with, well, you know, with each hand, two separate things at the same time. Um, it definitely, it just takes practice though, just like it does when you're making films. Well, how about in this conversation? Is there, um, you know, your thing in the back of your mind kind of steering us or how do you, how do you deal with that? Uh, well, I mean, I just, I'm constantly thinking about you. And at the same time, I'm thinking about the people that are watching us right now and what they're getting out of it. And sort of what I, you know, if I was watching this interview, what would I want to know from you? I've got this amazing opportunity to pick your brain about what, you know, what makes you tick, how you think. Right. And, uh, and you can go as deep as you want. And I say to myself, what is it what would I want to scrape out of Frank's brain at this, at this point in time? What would be, you know, what would be sensational? Um, I think to be honest, the, the getting over the fear of, of creation just in general is massive because I think that people, people 
shoot themselves down before they even begin. So they don't even know what's possible for them to create. Um, and that's what I admire about you is that you, you and I, we sat in Starbucks for 12 freaking hours a day and you were sitting there like creating something from your own mind, something that doesn't exist and you're bringing it into the world. And I don't, I don't see any more noble thing than that. I think it was just great. Yeah. 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 It was great. It was great seeing you there. So disciplined and, and building your, uh, <laughs> programs. Well, you know, and, and kind of, you know, I got advice from you about how to market something, I guess, I think, I think it may have been Metropolis organism. I'm not sure what it was, but, but you knew so much, you know, you have, you have gone down all these little paths um, of research and development uh, and all with your computer. And, and, you know, it gives you a way to explore the world, explore the, um, the world of, I guess, I guess, uh, I don't know software de- software programs software development. Uh, it it's, it seems so powerful to me. What's neat about it is, from a technical point of view, it is you have limitless possibilities. You can really do so much, right? Um, you're only limited by the by the boundaries of your own imagination. However, what's neat about it is that it's. There is a technical side to it, but there's also a very humane and very psychological side of it. And mixing those two things together, and you get into unknown territory. It's like it's like being an explorer in the you know late 1800s. There's just all sorts of stuff that you can find out, and it's exciting. And I guess it's all new. It's like if you put some different things together, maybe nobody's ever done that before, right? And and so you're like discovering something new. It's pretty cool. Well, and same with the filmmaking. I mean, I would imagine you're broaching topics and you're presenting ideas in a way that no one's ever thought of. And that alone, allowing people to gain another facet of, of perspective on something is, um, is to me like very important for people to do. And that's why, that's why, you know, the, you know, everybody's, if you're worried about looking crazy, talking about cities as a microorganism, Right. Yeah. Maybe there's some people that uh, that that think that way. But to be honest, I think the majority of people that calls to something inside them deeper, something that they, you know, haven't, you know, haven't been listening to. And you're just a constant reminder that they should just follow their gut. Well, let me since I've got a little bit of a platform here, if anybody, because I quite honestly, I don't know that I've had all these talks. I've talked to people. I've made these these books, these but I don't know. I have probably maybe one or two people really understand what it is I'm getting at. So if anybody out there sees it as a scientific perspective, um, get in touch with me, you know? So, well, I'll tell you, so I put uh, your Facebook page right in the show notes here. So there's a link straight to, it's actually, it's to erotic fire, but I would imagine that there's a way to contact you through that Facebook sure, page. Sure. Yeah. And uh, and here, let me put up what Perian said. Frank, if you ever make your way to Pittsburgh, I would love to buy you dinner. The conversation would be amazing. Well, Perian, I'm going to get in touch with you because, uh, you know, maybe I'll come to Pittsburgh to see you. I mean, it'd be a, a good conversation about that. That's, you know, I, I would get in touch first. But listen, I want to say one other thing, too, because you, you led into it about Erotic Fire of the Unattainable. It's a docufiction film. It's a it's a um, 
common genre of filmmaking that is not used that often. Um, but what it is, people play themselves in a, in a fictional story that is congruent in certain ways with their real life. Um, uh, gay in the film has three uh, love relationships. Two of them are, one was a former boyfriend, one's her current boyfriend, and we had to bring someone in to be her future boyfriend. But but this this is, that's what kind of makes the film strong, is these people, they're not actors, but they play themselves, and, you know, they do it pretty well. Um, so it's a kind of, anyway, it's a format, and that's another thing that might make this film interesting. It's, it's uh, people when they, they're kind of surprised. Often at the end is a statement that it's docu-fiction and people who haven't heard me before talk about it are very surprised that uh, this is the way the film was made. When you film a docu-fiction film and everything is less scripted and more of these actors really just not necessarily acting, but essentially just being themselves on camera and interacting with themselves on camera, does that lead to like awkward pauses or things where they're not exactly sure what to say, where you have to sort of cut and then edit? Is there more editing involved with docufiction or did you find that it just flowed? No, no, there's a huge amount of editing. Uh, the scene at the dinner table where she talks about her book, we shot with two cameras um, and we did three takes. So that's six takes. And the, this, the, 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 the scene as, as they did, it probably took seven minutes. And I end up with a two-minute scene uh, from that. So seven times six is, what, 42? So it's 42 to two is is the ratio. So, yeah, I mean, there's certain there's lots of awkward. And there's lots of difficulties because they never do the same, same thing twice. So I have to, right. to pull it together, which is part of the fun. And part of the fun was it that they had a lot of interesting things to say, and I had to choose which one that I was going to focus on. Dude, I uh, honestly, I think that everybody listening right now and watching live, if you haven't checked this out, you should really, really get in touch with Frank. You should watch the film, right? Now you know it's docufiction, but if you've never seen a docufiction before, I suggest you check it out. Seriously, Frank, this is always such a good conversation with you, man. I'm so happy that you came back. Okay. I enjoyed it, and uh, it, it was a great experience. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, absolutely. You're very welcome. And uh, and as we sort of wrap everything up, is there something that you'd like to leave everybody with? Uh, like, you know, a tidbit, piece of wisdom, something that you'd just like to close the show out with? Well, I, I think I did it before, but it's I don't think you can get over your fears, but you can um, uh, realize that that's just, that's part of the, process and uh, not let it um, destroy what you're doing. You just have to take it in, take it in and know that, you know, you'll essentially, you'll win anyway, even if you feel afraid. There you go. Damn straight. I love it, man. This is, uh, this has been so good. Well, guys, this is Josh, Frank, Elvis, somewhere around here. Uh, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> um, just uh, wrapping up another episode, guys. Thanks again for tuning in and listening. This has been incredible. Frank, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Josh. It's been great. All right. Well, that's it. Another episode of Fire Builders Lives in the books. Remember, we stream live Monday through Saturday, six days a week. You should check it out, right? Frank, 
Josh Elvis signing off. Guys, see you later. Frank, adios. Bye.